myself, my name is Ho, oh, oh, H to the O-V, I used to move snowflakes by the O-Z, I guess even back then you can call me, CEO of the R-O-C, Ho, fresh out the frying pan into the fire, I'll be the music man's number one supplier, flyer in a piece of paper bearing my name, I got the hottest chick in the game, wearing my chain, that's right, ah yes, welcome, What's good, everybody, and welcome. I said welcome twice. I really don't care. Whatever. Welcome to another episode. That's the third time of the Amatelaki TIS podcast. Here with your host, Jai Shields, here on this Wednesday, December the 7th, the year 2022. Apologies for no episode on Tuesday. Your boy was uh, busy as hell. It's funny, you know, college. A, I would want, I'd want to tell you guys this. Unless you, uh, and this is for the young audience out there that isn't at college age yet or is still young in their college journey, I suggest that unless you concrete know what you want to do with your life as a career choice, Unless you 100% know and or know that you can't survive in that field and make it successful without a college degree, I would strongly suggest to, you know, either, I'm starting to sound like my father now, either learn a trade and go to trade school or find a job, find something that you like doing, whether it's, uh, whether, or go to culinary school if you like cooking or or if you like moving storage and, and inventory, stocking shelves, know how to get a job doing that, excel at doing it, do it for as long as you possibly can, see if you can work your way up the totem pole, become become a car salesman and a damn good one and work your way up the ladder that way or just, just become a good salesman. Because unless you, because I got to be honest with you and got to be fair, man, there are some times where it's like, what, when I'm sitting back, I'm going, what the hell am I doing uh, with the, with this college and going to Morgan State, which is, uh, which is not exactly, I don't care how many times they can, they can plaster it all over uh all over their website and all over the campus until the cows come home. I mean that is a uh whether you compare it to other HBCUs or compare it to other colleges in general, uh PWIs I don't care. That that is one institution I wouldn't wish my worst enemy to attend. I, mean, I just I I'm gonna be there until uh until this upcoming May, but I don't give a damn. It's like that school and dealing with their foolishness and the professors. It's just, and then on, and then on top of it, knowing the amount of student loan debt that's going to that I have coming to me up the ass. Uh, you know, once I graduate from there, and then probably wherever other school, I hitch my wagon to out of state because I can't take going to. Uh, going to a school, uh, you know, and dealing with, and dealing with the amount of BS that takes place within that institution and then waking up and having to bundle up because it's 20 degrees and raining outside. I just, I, I can't, I can't, I cannot do it. I cannot, uh, take it and deal with it for much longer. So 
Keep yours truly in uh, your thoughts and prayers. Because I got, you know, and it's funny with school, you know, 80, 90, matter of fact, 90% of the semester is complete waste of time. Uh, to be quite frank, it's, uh, you know, from September, really late August, to late November, it really is just... And it's like you don't do anything. Yeah, you go to class, you take notes, you do this, do that. You have a couple of assignments here, there you got to do. But it's like it's not until that last month or last three weeks of the semester where literally all the work that you did. And I understand this is kind of like school in general, but it's like at least when I was in high school, you know, they gave you t they gave you tests, they gave you projects, they, they kept you busy. Throughout the duration of the of the semester, you know, where you couldn't, where where like they kept they kept shoveling work in your face and at least kept you busy and was like, oh, okay, well I well I hate doing X assignments X Y and Z, but you know they keep me on your toes. College, at least the way it is at more with uh, this institution, it's you know nothing. You fought around. <laughs> You know, the 80% of the class doesn't show up. The teachers don't know which way is up. Uh, you know, will we have class? Will we won't have class. Letting you know last minute you're getting up at the ass crack of dawn to pull up to school. Oh, yeah, by the way, there's no class today. Uh, people's uh, Zoom's not working. The power goes out and having uh, class canceled and shit. So it's just if you if you don't know exactly what you want to do with your life, uh, I I would suggest making sure you know the go to college route is your absolutely last resort unless you know for sure what you want to do, uh, or you or you know that the avenue the career avenue you want to go in you basically can't make it without a college degree, and the one that I want to go in. Uh, which is uh, the broadcast journalism the industry on TV and radio and everything else. You know, I basically can't make six figures or make as much money as I would like to make in about 20 years or so unless I have uh, a degree from an institution that says yours truly went through the Bachelor of Arts program and graduated with a bachelor's uh, in uh, in communications or in broadcast journalism and things of that nature. So I say all that to say, on top of the fact that I had a that I had you know take care of crap for jobs, you know searching for jobs, and then I had to rewatch you know the games like I typically do over the weekend. Uh, you know, especially in the four o'clock hour, because I, you know, I was, cause I was clued into, glued into the, uh, Bengals and Chiefs game for obvious reasons. But I'll say all that to say, you got your episode on Wednesday, you will have one on Friday. And after this week, there will be, there shouldn't be any reason for school to, uh, hound me down for a good month and a half. So, uh, just want just to get that on the table and into the ether to let you know where I'm coming from. And let's jump right into it as we got a lot to do here on this 
midweek show in the first week of December. Week 13 recap, of course, four games from the 1 o'clock hour. We'll recap here in the first segment. Uh, three games from the 4 o'clock hour, not counting the Bengals game I want to get into uh, in the second segment, including Brady's comeback on Monday Night Football. Bengals, uh, Bengals take care of business against the Chiefs. Uh, the fi- college football final four was announced on Sunday a- on Sunday afternoon before all the NFL games at noon Eastern time. I'll react to that, give my comments on the final four and uh, and look ahead a little bit to these bowl games coming up uh, coming up New Year's Eve. And a lot of stuff's going on in Major League Baseball in terms of the offseason. Aaron Judge is a New York Yankee still nine year. Uh, contract extension he got Yankees fans all of a sudden want to pretend like uh, this mean like this means something long term. All it means is that Aaron Judge it'll not be nine consecutive years. Aaron Judge and the Yankees will uh, will crash and burn to the Houston Astros in the ALCS. That's all that means. Yankee fans all over the place going crazy in the media and then, and then some of whom who I know on Twitter going nuts. And doing handstands and backflips because Aaron Judge remained a New York Yankee. It's a big deal. Big. It's a big story within the element of sports and within the element of Major League Baseball. But this doesn't mean a damn thing, in my opinion, when it comes to the Yankees and them essentially elevating themselves from where they were in 2022 to where they were in uh, to where they are, or at least trying to be in 2023. And Stephen A. Smith, who of course first take on with my man Mad Dog on Wednesday, and I could probably count on on uh, two on two hands how many Yankee games a year Stephen A. Smith sit, sits down and watches. He, you know, I, and I and listen, I love him and look up to him, but you know when it comes to him, bra- with the brag with the uh, bro- the bravado that he has with the New York Yankees, I I, I can't take it as seriously. Because I know in the grand scheme of things, if the Yankees are going, if the Yankees are playing a game on a on a Friday night in May, and it's going up against, I don't know, a, a second round uh, Eastern Conference Finals uh, playoff series between the Toronto Raptors and the and the Atlanta Hawks. You know, he'll, now I understand he works with ESPN and, and the NBA is a big part of ESPN and that's, and it's claim to fame was, is, was and is basketball. And uh, so I get all that, but it's like, you know, the point I'm trying to make with the Yankee, with the Yankee fan base, there's a large sum of them that claim to be Yankee fans that, that, you know, I can, again, count on a single set of hands out of 162 games. They sat down and watched from beginning to end. You know, a New York Yankee game. Meanwhile, I'm a Baltimore Orioles fan. That's not a native New Yorker, and I feel like there's a lot of fake and fraudulent Yankee fans out there that are parading as Yankee fans and couldn't tell you one damn thing and break down with any logic or any uh, pulse of the imagination of the New York Yankee franchise and their problems on the field and the front office and their weaknesses and their strikes and this, that, and the other. My main point: There's a lot of posers, a lot of a lot of mem- a lot of Yankee fans out there that are posers, and it drives me crazy. But I say all that to say that Stephen that Stephen A, who is a semi-casual, he can be lifelong in a semi-casual, uh, just because he you know he was there for the for their when Chris Chambliss hit the walk off 
home run to win, I believe, was a 79 pennant. I mean, ALCS, I mean, come on. You, you, know, what I'm, you, you know what I'm trying to say. Stephen A isn't, you know, he, he isn't as, he isn't as much as a, uh, diehard Yankee slash baseball fan as the as his bravado would leave you to believe. I say all that to say even he made a decent point on a first take on Wednesday morning saying, yes, this is great. Aaron Judge is, is back and he's a New York Yankee and and the Mets didn't get him and this, that and the other and and the, and the rumor with Heyman that, uh, that essentially was baseless with him going to the Giants, all that's great, all that's great and all, but the bot, but the bottom line, but the bottom line is the Yankees. You know what does it mean for everybody else? Aaron Aaron Judge remaining on the team's good is good and all for morale and selling tickets, and our homegrown guy is going to be a Yankee essentially for life. But what does that have to do with our championship aspirations? And what and how is it going to help us essentially be a better baseball team so we can beat the Houston Astros? And that was his general point that he made on first take this morning. That was and that was a brilliant point on his part. So anyway, I'm talking school. I'm doing Yankees. 13 minutes into this segment, and I haven't even gotten into one game. So let's uh, not waste any further time and get into it right now. The Vikings somehow, someway, find a way to continue to win football games. The Vikings are 10-2, and 6-1 at home, 27-22 victory over the Jets. A lot of takeaways I have uh, from this game. First off, from a Vikings perspective, and then I get to then I get to the uh, Jets. From a Vikings perspective, their offensive ineptitude kept the Jets in this game. You go ahead and you look at what the what the Vikings did in the second half. They got the opening possession. They got the the second half, third quarter opening possession. Three plays, six yards, punt. Second possession, punt. Third possession, punt. Scored a touchdown, make it 27-15. Then after that, they punted back-to-back times. To start out the second half, they won one, two, three straight possessions. Punt, punt, punt. Six, Six yards, six yards, negative two yards. Three plays, six plays, three plays. And then after their touchdown drive to make it, after the Jets went down in the field 75 yards and made it 27-22, what did the Vikings do in the next offensive possession? Three plays, four yards, and a punt. And their, and their last official offensive possession, when the Jets turned it over on downs and the Jets, excuse me, when the Jets turned over on downs and the, and, uh, and the uh, Vikings just had to hold on to the ball and not give the ball back to put the game on ice, Jet, the Vikings moved the ball one yard, Three plays only took 24 seconds off the clock and allowed the Jets to have one last opportunity at a miracle. The Minnesota Vikings offense, very concerned about uh, now their offense in the grand scheme of things is not a, is not a great concern for me, but what, but what did, but what was concerning individually about that game on Sunday was the fact that they only mustered one touchdown out of, out of one, two, three, Four, five, six second half drives. One touchdown and six. One uh, one touchdown and six offensive drives. Now, I understand that the New York Jets have a hell of a defense, 
But, you know, you cannot expect to go up against Dallas, go up against uh, the Eagles, and go one and in the second half have six possessions and only score a touchdown on, and only score one touchdown out of the out of the six opportunities that just it straight up cannot happen. Oh, for th- for the first three possessions of the second half they go, they punt three three plays six plays three plays that that's not good enough. And the and the Vikings you know who are who are a style or decently balanced offense they got to play better than that. You know, Kirk Cousins did not play as well as he's had in a lot of the Vikings wins this season. 27 of 35, 173. Took care of the football, no interceptions. Got sacked a couple of uh, a couple of times. They did not run the. They ran the ball productively. Not 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 overwhelmingly great. Dalvin Cook, 20 carries, 86 yards, and a touchdown. But the Vikings, you know, they stalled in the second half, and it kept the Jets in this, and it kept the Jets in this game because you could see to start the game out that the that it was that it had the looks of it being a long day for the Jets. They had an opening possession, Mike White. He throws the interception to uh, he throws the interception to Harrison Smith, which sets up shop for the Vikings to, to uh, begin their opening drive at the Jets' 33-yard line. The, the the Jets get fortunate. Vikings end up kicking a field goal. Jets get the ball right back. They go down the field, kick a field goal, tie the game up, and then it's a punt fest for for the for the Vikings and the Jets possessions back to back. Then the Vikings score a touchdown. Then next offensive possession, Jets still can't get anything done. They punt. Jets score. Excuse me. Then the Vikings come back, score a touchdown. It's seventeen to three. So then I'm sitting there going, okay, well, 17, 17 to three, you know, if the Jets don't score a touchdown here, this has to make us being for a long football game. Just get the ball, sit, uh, just get the ball, get down to their own, they get down, start from their own 25, get down to their own 43 yard line, fourth and two, fourth and two, which I will, uh, it's actually a beautiful segue because I hated the fact that the that uh that Michael Floor called a called an empty set formation on fourth and two. I mean, you want to talk about show you want to talk about showing your your opponent, showing your showing the uh, person you're playing cards with at, at the at the at the at the blackjack table your hand. I mean, my goodness gracious, uh, four, it's fourth and two. You need two lousy yards, and you're going empty set shotgun formation, letting the whole building know, hey guys, the ball's gonna be in Mike White's hand. We're gonna we're gonna throw the ball when your when your offense was uh, was very anemic to start the game. I mean, you, that, you can't. I, I have no idea what Mike Lafleur's decision making was on that one. It runs a they has a, has Conklin run a run a. Uh, Run a route over across the middle of the field, incomplete pass, turnover on down. Vikings get the ball back and set up shop in Jets territory at their own 43. They end up marching down the field in seven plays, end up kicking the field goals 23. I'm standing there, sending myself saying, Hey, the Jets are fortunate that the Jets are fortunate that they only kicked the field goal here, but the field goal was so I, I felt like that the field goal helped the Vikings more than it hurt them because with the with the Jets offensive ineptitude in the first half they weren't able, they were not able to uh, Mike White was was uh, was did not start out great he was 31 57 in the game had a had played better in the second half had an interception of course that that uh, first that first play 
Um, and it was just, I was, I thought, listen, if the Vikings get one more stop and can get a score here before the half and go into the half up, uh, up 27 to three, you know, the Jets could be in some serious, could be in some serious trouble here. And the Jets get the ball right after the uh, Vikings field goal to make it, make it 20 to three, Jets get the ball to kick a field goal and go into the half, uh, 20 to six. That's a decision I did not like under any circumstances circumstances uh it's fourth it's fourth and three it's fourth and three minnesota called a timeout to call the timeout with 13 seconds left i do not like the decision to uh to kick a to essentially milk the clock and kick a field goal before the end of the half you're down 20 to three a touchdown that situation a touchdown at that situation or at that situation uh, you know, get get you within ten points. I understand that they weren't exactly inside the Vikings' red zone, but I thought that the Jets played it very, very, very uh, cautious in that, very cautious in that aspect. You know, get the get the first down on third and ten, and see. I understand that you had the ball on forty nine yard line, but I mean, you could you couldn't have gotten your squad either a little closer for for a shot at the end zone. You had about thirteen eight seconds to work with. Get the convert on fourth and three, so even get get out of bounds, and then try to and then try to get a shot to the end zone. You had to, in my opinion, you, you sh- the, the Jets should have taken a chance there because that game could have easily got away got away from them at tw- at twenty to six, and it very damn well should have had had the Vikings not only been had the Vikings be uh, essentially anemic with scoring touchdowns in the second half because again the Vikings not their they not their defense necessarily but their offense kept the Jets in in this football game. It was, throughout the duration of the uh of the second half and then what do the jets do death by a thousand field goals and then they finally get the ball after the vikings march down the field score touchdown 77 plays 75 yards uh and make it 27 to 15 just get the ball at their own 25 yard line five plays 75 yards mike white's best drive of the game Marches right down the field and sneaks it in. Hell of a challenge by Salah. I have no idea why that wasn't ruled a touchdown on the field. He clearly got into the end zone by a good few yards. Next thing you know, you blink and it's 27-22. So the Vikings defense allowed, you know, allowed a lot of yards and a lot of plays to allow the Jets to get into field goal range, and that essentially is what kept what also kept them in the game. Again, death by a thousand field goals. Only scored one touchdown, but when you but when you kick one, two, one, two, three, four, five field goals in a game and one touchdown, it's going to amount to twenty two points. On top of the fact that the Vikings offense, for the most part, couldn't get the job done uh, in the second half. Mike White threw for three sixty nine. Zonovan White fifteen carries, ninety yards on the ground. Uh, I have no, I, I have no idea, and the Jets settled for way too many field goals, as we know. There was a, quite a few times that the Jets, in my opinion, should have taken a shot or two to try to get the ball into the end zone, uh, and 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 make the Vikings sweat a little bit, make make that offense get one more score, the score touchdown one more time, uh, to uh, to put the to put the game on ice and to make it a runaway. They could not do so. Smartly played by the Jets. The field goals actually kept them in the game and didn't hurt them. Uh, but I have no idea on the fourth and goal 
Jets were down uh, with it, and it was a score 27-22. I have no fourth and goal. The Jets got the ball at the Vikings' one-yard line, 146 to go in the fourth quarter. Brad, there is zero, zero excuse on God's green heaven why Braxton Barrows did not hold on to that football. There, there is absolutely zero excuse whatsoever why Braxton couldn't hold, couldn't keep his arms and and hands glued on the football and hold on to it and complete the pro and complete the uh, process of the catch. No, ex no excuse and no reason for it. He drops the football at the last second. Had he hold on? Excuse me, I got some in my mouth. Had he had he uh, had he had held on? Just would have most likely, uh, just would have most likely, uh, won that won that football game, obviously. But that's a ball that Braxton Berrios has to catch. I'm sorry, it's just, and he, you know, and he was not great in the game. Through two receptions, uh, nine yards, he's got to hold on to that football. Absolutely zero excuse for that. But the Vikings are ten and two, have an opportunity to win the NFC North. With a win on Sunday or a tie, they got the Detroit Lions. They're actually underdogs in this game. When was the last time a ten and, a team at ten and two was a road underdog against the against the Detroit against the Detroit Lions in December? I mean that is absolutely positively remarkable stuff right there. But the Vikings are ten and two, and the uh, Jets. Rough loss, tough loss. They they started out sluggish on offense. Their defense kept them in the game in the second half. Uh, death by a thousand field goals uh, also helped as well. With Greg Zerlein did a very good job, but a tough loss for the tough loss for the Jets. They've dropped two out of their last. They've dropped two out of their last three games. They're now currently sitting at seven and five, the seventh seed in the AFC in the uh, AFC playoff picture. With the Buffalo Bills up at Orchard Park coming up on Sunday, as as for the uh, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles, Eagles took care of business with their win on uh, with their win on Sunday afternoon against the Tennessee Titans. Uh, the Titans fired the GM. I have no idea what exactly that's supposed to. I guess you could say it gives them ample time. For them to uh, to find their next GM, they got a lot of time before it's G before it's a GM season, uh, with the draft, with the draft and the combine and and free agency and everything else. So I guess you could say, hey, they get a head start on uh, on their on, on you know trying to find a new GM, but I but it it doesn't exactly, I don't know. It's just, uh, to me, it it feels like it was more out of spite, anger, and frustration. Not even spite, but more out of anger and frustration, and somebody trying to, you know, their personal whipping boy because they because they traded AJ Brown for a bag for a bag of Cheez Its, and AJ Brown went ape shit on the Titans and caught eight receptions for 119 receiving yards on 10 targets and caught two touchdown passes. And Ryan Tannehill, who who didn't want him to go, and Vrabel, who you, who if you remember when the trade went down back in April during the draft, he was absolutely pissed that they traded that they traded away AJ Brown because the franchise didn't want to uh, give him a contract extension. 
And so everybody within the Tennessee Titan locker room wanted him to uh, wanted him to stay, but for whatever the but for whatever the reason, the Titans didn't want to give him the money, so they shipped him off to uh, so they shipped him off to Philadelphia, and essentially his performance on Sunday reopened uh, past wounds. That was a game that AJ Brown had circled on his calendar since the trade went down back over this past spring. And uh, he and the, he may, certainly made his old team pay for it. J, uh, Jalen Hurts, I mean, my goodness gracious, he is second, without a shadow of a doubt, he is second in conversation in the MVP in terms of the MVP running. 29-39, 380 passing yards through for three touchdown passes, zero, intercept, zero interceptions. And dig this stat right here. No, that's the A.J. Brown stat. Where's my, uh, where's my uh, Eagles stat? Oh, here we go. The Eagles recorded 350 rushing yards in their win against the Packers, and 350 Hertz did. 350-plus passing yards this week over the Tennessee Titans. They became the third team since yards were first tracked in 1933 to record 350 rushing yards in one week and 350 passing yards in the following week or vice versa. Devonta Smith, one of my favorite players in the National Football League, what a game he had as well, five receptions. 102 receiving yards, caught a touchdown pass on eight targets. The Eagles just pretty much dominated this game from the second quarter on, and it just really it wasn't a fair fight. I mean, they and it was a game, and it's and a thing that would make you that would leave you very encouraged and fit and having you uh very optimistic uh and and have you very optimistic if you're a uh, Philadelphia Eagles fan. Is that the fight? Is that the Eagles show that they can beat that they can beat you in two fronts with the stat I just named you? They can run. They can run you away. They can run your way out of the building, and they can throw it and have Jalen Hurts sling the rock from the pocket as good as anybody in the National Football League. And I think that's a very uh, dangerous attribute. For a lot of you know, for a lot, for football teams, especially in the back end of the season, getting closer and closer towards playoff time, having you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, the as the old phrase goes. And if the Eagles can drop 35 on you by having Jalen Hurts throw for almost throw for 20 yards shy of 400 yards, and having Devonta Smith and AJ Brown combined both for over 200 and 220 receiving yards. That's as much of a deadly combination as Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, and uh, Boston Scott run for over 300 yards on the ground like they did against the uh, against the Green Bay Packers the game before. So I so if I was very very impressed by the Eagles' performance by that game, the 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 uh, diversity within their offense and how they can beat you and how they can move the ball downfield and score points and put the ball in the end zone. I, I, I that was a, a immense positive I took from them. The one negative though, if you were to quibble, if you were to nitpick from Philadelphia, there was way 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 too many uh, false start. 
false false start penalties. I mean, that's something that this team has got to. I understand they really uh, they you know sometimes they have bad weeks. I get it. Twelfth, but twelfth. I mentioned it with the Bengals when they beat the Titans with hella penalties the uh, week before. Twelfth penalties and eighty yards ain't gonna get the job done come playoff time. You gotta take you gotta take care of the football. Be smart with the football and not and not shoot yourself in the foot, especially at home. You know you're you're at home and this team racked up uh, a crap ton of pre of uh, of pre snap penalties that cannot happen. But outside of the false starts, they put up four hundred and fifty three total yards. The they they average six yards. They average they nearly average seven yards a play. They were two of two within the red. They were two of two within the red zone. Took care of the football. Didn't turn it over. One time of possession, and were uh, and were th- three of three on fourth down. So outside of that, you really not can you really can't do too much complaint for Philadelphia as they still remain ahead of the Cowboys within their own division and the Vikings uh, in the North in terms of who's going to get the number one seed in the NFC with an eleven and one record. The Titans have lost back to, have lost back to back since their uh, week since their week eleven Thursday night victory against the Packers. They're at seven and five right now, albeit it's a shooting going to win the division. If you're a Titans fan, you'd think, uh oh, this is when the honey this is where the honeymoon is going to uh, come to an end. With uh, is this where the honeymoon is going to come to an end? And uh, and the and the writing that we saw coming in the off season is uh, is going to come out of the uh, woodwork and and you're going to see why this team is going to be in the conversation in the AFC competing to make it and go to a uh, and go to a Super Bowl and the Eagles are item number 2 on this uh, on my list. Item number 3 is the uh, oh wait I also had a AJ Brown stat I wanted to read you too. Uh, A.J. Brown, more receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns than all Titans wide receivers combined in the week in, his, in that Week 13 revenge game. Uh, all the Titans wide receiving core, four receptions, 41 receiving yards, one touchdown. A.J. Brown, eight receptions, 119, two receiving touchdowns. Game number three, the Giants and the Commanders. I mean, my goodness gracious me, a tie. If though you know how this game ended in a tie, ladies and gentlemen, at twenty twenty, you know, because both teams once they got into overtime played for the tie. I have never seen two teams <clears throat> at one time in a sequence of a game both sit on a tie and play not to lose. I have no idea why Washington. Caught a screen pass on a third and nine after their second and seven run went nowhere. This is with 446 going overtime. They had to bought the Giants uh 44 yard line. I have no idea for the life of me. It's third and long. You got the ball inside Giants territory in overtime, and we go screen pass on third and nine. Put the ball in Heineke's hands and have him throw the ball downfield. And the thing that it made even more crazy is that when the ball was in Heineke's hands during the game tying drive uh, for during the game tying uh, drive for Washington, when which they went eight plays ninety yards in two minutes time, 
What, what, what were they doing? They were mixing up. They were allowing Heineke to throw the ball downfield. Mix a short, pa- short pass route to Terry McLaurin. Here's a, uh, here's a short passing route to, uh, to Samuel. Here's a deep passing route to, uh, to Dotson, the rookie for, for, uh, for here's, here's a, pa- here's a pass play to Dotson with a, here's a pass play to Dotson that went for the touchdown. Here's a, you know, mixing up Samuel, the Dotson, the McLaurin. They let Heineke cook. I hate using that phrase, of course, of Russell Wilson, but they let Heineke Heineke throw the ball downfield. No risk it, no biscuit. Game's on the line. We gotta, we gotta tie this game, stay in this game because we need to win this game if we expect to go to the playoffs. And once overtime came, it was like, eh, we play them again in two weeks, bye week in between. We'll be content with the tie. I just, to me, I play, I play to win. I don't play not to lose. Playing not to lose and playing to win is two different things. Playing not to lose is playing to uh, avoid a mistake or avoid taking a chance that could cost you the game, that could lose you the game, come hell to high water. It's where it's like we are not going to let you win this game because of our own mistakes, because of our own ineptitude. If you win this game, it will be because you you made you were risky you took the risk you made the plays and you won the game not us losing it or giving it to you because we took a mis- because we took chances threw the ball downfield took some risk on third and longs mixed it up a little bit and had Heineke susceptible to uh, to getting uh to getting smashed behind the line of scrimmage that's the difference and that play I didn't like, I didn't understand. And I also didn't like with 118 to go in overtime, they had about their own 10-yard line, a run play on third and 10. This is the one I, I, I also don't like under any circumstances because even if in the aspect that Heineke takes a shot deep to McLaurin or to, or to, uh, or, or to, or, or to Dotson or Samuel, even if he takes a shot downfield, he flips the field. If he takes a shot and he doesn't connect and it ends up in an interception, basically a jump ball where 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 the where the giant defensive back comes down with the football and he gets tackled at at his own, you know, twenty two yard line or thereabouts, his own thirty, his own twenty five yard line, that's not the worst thing in the world because it flips the field. You know, you hear the joke all the time. Arm punt. That's then that situation with those two teams essentially playing the field position battle. The arm punt interception to flip the field to give the Giants the ball at their own 20, 25 yard line is just as is is arguably more productive than them not moving the ball an inch, punting from their own ten, and the Giants setting up shop at their own at their own, you know, uh, 30-yard line or their own 40, 45-yard line or at midfield off of a good return. And even then, take a chance and, and go for the gusto and see, who knows, maybe McLaurin, maybe Samuel comes down with the, comes down with the football and you're, in, and, you're in, and you're in field goal range. 
pass interference penalty. Guy gets 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 handsy, gets anxious, and 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 and, and wraps his arm around the wide around the the wide receiver's uh, shoulder. He he hooks onto his jersey. He grabs onto his jersey. He trips him. You just don't know. Legal contact, holding, pass interference. You just don't know. And if that happens, in spite of the foul penalty, the field is flipped. You move 60, 70, 80 yards to the opposite end of the field. Chip shot field goal range, kick a game-winning field goal. Or maybe they come down with the football and they walk into the end zone for a touchdown and win the game. But, you know, the run and essentially waving the white flag and saying, Listen, we're we're not going to try to win this football game with a run play on third and ten. Made absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. No sense. And I understand that the offensive line got blitzkrieg. Thibodeau came came out of there like a bat out of hell and sacked Heineken on the opening drive. But still, it's just no excuse. No excuse. And then the Giants just as bad. This was with one forty one to go in overtime. They had the ball Washington's forty five yard line. Third and two, and we and we pull this funky ass RPO quarterback option play. Can you just run the damn ball with Saquon Barkley and call it a night? Why, why do we have Why do we have to overcomplicate things and try to show off how smart we are? Give the damn ball to Saquon Barkley and call it a day. My goodness gracious. And the giant and the Giants defense deserves some grief because they sat they sat on their lead in the second half. Sat they couldn't move the ball. You look ahead and after their after their first possession in the second half, they marched down the field five well not marched down the field, but set up had were set up shop at their own at Washington's twenty yard line off of the uh off of the uh Taylor Heineke fumble. After that touchdown, the Giants went punt, 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 and that was it. Came out of overtime, punt, punt, missed field goal. They went after that gift of a touchdown in which they took the lead 20-13. They punted one, two, three, four, five, six straight possessions. They punted on six straight possessions and couldn't move the ball an inch. Nine yards, negative five yards, negative two yards, zero yards, nine yards. And they moved the ball a whopping 36 yards on their last punting attempt. They sat on their lead. Defense let them down. Both of these teams are tied. Their rematch coming up next week will be on Sunday Night Football over in Landover, Maryland. The uh, As you look at the NFC uh, playoff picture and where things stand right now, the uh, Washington Commanders are currently sitting... It's not what I want. I want the playoff. There we go. The Washington Commanders are sitting at the 8th seed. Because the because their tie hurt them with the Seahawks beating the Rams on Sunday. They have a 577 winning percentage. The Seahawks have 583. So the Seahawks have the 7th seed. Commanders have the 8th seed. Giants stand pat down 
with the sixth seed. And it could have been a situation where if the Giants would have lost, the tie hurts the Commanders and helps the Giants because the tie, just as much of a win, keeps the Giants in the sixth seed. As I said on Friday, had the Giants lost on Sunday, the Giants would have fallen down to the eighth seed, the Seahawks would have would have went up to the sixth, and the Commanders would have went to the seventh. But instead they tied, which helped the Giants. Hurts the Commanders, but it helps the Giants. Hurts the helps the Giants, helps the Seahawks, hurts the Commanders. And finally, the Baltimore Ravens and the Denver Broncos. That was a rough game to sit back and rewatch. On uh, what day did I rewatch that game? On Tuesday morning. That was a rough, rough football game to sit back and rewatch from start to end. I mean that. I mean, it's just with with the Denver Broncos. It, I you run out of words. You honest to God run out of words to describe how anemic, how boring, how offensive, how lethargic and unentertaining this football team is is to watch play. Honestly, just a field goal and a punt fest. And the Denver Broncos forced two two interceptions. Lamar James Prochet on that little asinine wide receiver reverse pass. Uh, the, the Greg Roman special. They picked off Tyler Huntley in the end zone in the double coverage. That a pass that had no business of being thrown. They forced. They got two interceptions. The Ravens only ran the. Their leading rusher Huntley only ran the ball forty-one yards, ten carries. Their their leading running back rusher Kenyon Drake seven carries, twenty-nine yards. They stopped the run. Ravens couldn't move the ball downfield worth a damn in the passing game. Forced two turnovers, two interceptions, and yet none of that mattered because they played perfect defense for all but how much time? All but for 59 minutes and 40 seconds. And the last 20 or more seconds in the game, their defense collapsed, let them down yet again. I understand and I get it that that they're on the field a lot. They're dealing with that with that with that nagging uh, friction within the locker room of the defense essentially carrying the team. The offense has, hasn't done a damn thing all year. I get that. I understand that. But the bottom line is, you cannot under any circumstances, you know, look like the look like the Orange Crush defense uh, look like the Orange Crush defense through 59 minutes, and then in the last minute completely fall apart and allow Tyler Huntley, who you guys had essentially figured out the entire game, allow him to go 16 plays and march down the field 91 yards to score the game's only touchdown. When you get when you guys are up 9 to 3. I I'm 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 sorry. I understand they're frustrated. I understand that it's that it's that 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 that, that there's a lot of a angst and animosity with being on a football team that can't score. Meanwhile, that's in the toilet. Meanwhile, the defense is statistically statistically the best defense in the National Football League. I I get that. I under I understand that. But it's still no excuse for the Broncos defense when they were lights out literally all game long until one drive, and they and and they look like Swiss cheese. 16 plays, 91 yards. When Huntley was 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 
deer in the headlights, throwing interceptions and incomplete passes all over the place, and yet and yet the and yet the Broncos somehow sway allowed him to look like Lamar Jackson for the drive that mattered there at the end. It, it cannot happen under any circumstances. Can't happen. They gave they got caught with their pants around ankles on a third and on a third down defensive pass interference penalty and allowed the Ravens to convert on a fourth and one and a fourth and two. Two fourth downs where if they stopped the Ravens, the game is theirs. And they couldn't do it. Meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, Russell Wilson was a statue behind center like he always was, except for the final 20 seconds of the game. We realized, oh crap, we we still have a have a have a, a chance, still have a slither of a chance to steal it to steal and win this football game. Let me turn back the clock to 2014. Russell Wilson form and scramble out the pocket, run into the middle of the field, run and hustle my caucus out of bounds and this down here. It's like Russell, where the hell is this? What 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 where is this throughout the duration of the football game? All of a sudden, the game's in bounce. You have a chance to win, and and now all of a sudden we want to turn into vintage Russell Wilson. Really? Completion percentage wasn't horrible, seventeen to twenty-two, but only one hundred and eighty-nine passing yards, no touchdown passes yet again. Got sacked twice because he holds on to the ball too long because of reasons. They can't run the football, obviously. It's been a complete mess at running back for him this year. And the Denver Broncos, as we've said all season long, are offensive and and just disrespectful to watch on offense. They are. They are, they are disrespectful and offensive to watch at offense. Russell Wilson is washed. They have no running game, no elite wide receivers, and Nathaniel Hackett has no idea what way is up. And the Ravens literally tried to gift wrap this game to Denver, and they still couldn't find a way to win, which if I was a Broncos fan would make me more irate more than anything else. Lamar exits out the game in the first quarter. They can't run the ball worth the crap. Greg Roman, you know, again, special performance with it with with his genius play calling. They can't move the ball down and feel worth a damn, and yet they still somehow sway find a way to lose to a backup quarterback. And with Lamar and his PCL out one to three weeks, if he misses a whole three weeks, he'd be eligible to return for the second Steeler game. Uh, and coming up in week 17, it obviously would leave him open to uh, come back, of course, for week 18 against my Bengals. In the what in the little action that he played in the game on Sunday, my takeaways was this. Lamar Jackson's holding on to the football way too damn long. That Bronco defensive pass rush was way too good. They have they, they, It's too good of a defense, and they have way too many good players on that football team, especially with the defense, their defensive line and their pass rush for Lamar Jackson to hold the ball for 20 years, waiting for Deshaun Jackson or Devin Duvernay to get open downfield. If the play's not there, Lamar, do what you do, do what you do best, tuck in and run or throw the ball into the fifth row. And up him holding on to the football t- for too long is what ended up getting him hurt. And now he got this whole situation with with his contract and everything else. Going to be interesting to see. Interesting development going on with Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens. Take a break. Get to the other half of the Week 13 recap. The Amatelica Tellius podcast. 
Welcome back to the I'm going to tell is podcast. Quick stat that I thought was interesting relating it to the, uh, Viking, the Vikings, the Ravens and the Broncos game. Did you know that, bef- and this was in uh, The Athletic, uh, before Sunday, NFL teams were 0-206, 0 0 wins, 206 losses since 1995. That's the last 27 years of NFL football when committing teams were winless in 206, uh, in 206 games in the last 27 years when committing two turnovers, forcing none, and failing to score more than 10 points. According to Pro Football Focus, the Ravens were the first team since 1995 to win a game in which they lost the turnover battle, didn't, excuse me, in which they lost the turnover battle and failed to score more than 10 points. The first team, and it's ironic because the Ravens became a team a year later in 96, the first team in the NFL in the last 27 years that has won a game in which they lost a turnover battle by two, they turned over the football twice, didn't record a turnover, their defense did, and failed to score more than 10 points. In the entire history of the league, going back to 1920, Teams were 8, 325, and 1. That's a winning percentage of less than, uh, less than 100, less than 100%. Not 1,000, less than 100. That's a .025 percentage. That's a less than 3%. And the Ravens added themselves to that list because the Denver Broncos just stink at scoring points. Anyway, wanted to give give you that stat as we continue. Uh, the four o'clock games. The uh, and, and I of course, and I'll save the Bengals and Chiefs game for the upcoming segment. And uh, of course, and like I always do, more times than not. I have my recap of the Bengals game in a separate segment all to itself so I don't essentially ramble for 40 minutes on one game and leave all these other games hanging in the dust and have a segment that's 90 minutes long uh, talking about uh, talking about five games that happened uh, all at one time. But uh, the Miami Dolphins got absolutely curb stomped by the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday afternoon. And it was a game that I saw, a game and a result that I saw coming. Because the bottom line is, and people, you know, were, and people were talking, were saying this, that, and the other about talking about the, the Miami Dolphins and their offense and two of this and two of that and Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill, what a combination, two of MVP, this, that, and the other. The bottom line is that, and I and I said it before the game. I've said it before the game. I've said it on my show. I've said it on the on the Wednesday night tailgate show with Ruick and uh, Anthony uh, Zavala, which I'll be on tonight at seven o'clock. I t- I tell you, I t- I've been saying this ad infinitum. The, the 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 Dolphins have had were on a nice run. They're a good team. They're going to make the playoffs. They're well coached. 
and they have playmakers on offense. The question was, what were they going to do going up and going up against an elite top tier Super Bowl caliber defense in the San Francisco 49ers? We know how good their offense is going up against trash that is the Houston Texans, the Cleveland Browns, the Chicago Bears, the Detroit Lions, and the overrated Ravens defense back in week two. All of those, uh, all, those are the teams in which the Dolphins have put up 30 or more points against. The overrated Ravens defense, which, is, which, is, which has come crashing back down to earth over the last month or so. And the Lions, the Bears, the Browns, and the Texans. All four of those teams have the worst defenses in the National Football League, with the Lions being the worst, the Bears not too far behind, Cleveland outside of Miles Garrett ain't must write home about their defense neither. Can't stop can't stop the can't stop the run worth the damn. And the Houston Texans are a team that's that that's they're the Houston Texans. They stink. So, and I said it then, and I say it again, and I say it now after the fact, the call, the report card and the level of how great the Houston Texans, or excuse me, the Miami Dolphins offense is, how great and how much long strides Tua has taken, whether or not this team deserves to be in the Buffalo and Kansas City class in terms of the cream of the crop of the AFC, and along with Buffalo and Kansas City in terms of the cream of the crop offenses in the AFC, I was not reading too much into what they were doing against the Lions, the Bears, the Browns, and the Texans. Teams with horrendous defenses. Oh, I'm supposed to be impressed because they because they dropped 35 on the Bears or 31 on the Lions. Big deal. What were you going to do? Could you find a way to score 28, 31, 35 points against the San Francisco 49ers defense that's one of, if not the best defense in all of football? And the answer was they could not. 17 points. And they got the asses kicked 33 to 17. And I've been saying all along, all season long, that 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 the Dolphins defense has been hasn't isn't much to write home about either. Again, we I can go back and go to the games. I can go back to in which they gave up I can go back to which they gave up uh they gave up 32 points to the Bears. They gave up 37 points to the Lions. They've given up uh, they gave up 40 points to the Jets. 27 to my Bengals, 38 points to the Ravens. Not a good defense. I've said it all season long, and it's kind of been swept under the rug and under the radar because of the tremendous job that Mike McDaniel has has done in his first year as the Dolphins uh, head coach and and the resurgence of of their offense with Tua and Tyreek and Waddle. It's kind of been it's been an under the radar talking point or not talking point, but an under but an under the radar fact about this team through the first twelve games that they've had this year is that offensively and with Tua, they may not miss Brian Flores, but their defense sure as hell misses Brian Flores. Because if you took the Dolphins' offense 
from this year and put it on the Dolphins teams of 2020 and 2021. Those two, those years where they went nine and seven, eight and eight, because they had a damn good defense. That, my friends, is Super Bowl contending football team. The problem is, is that their defense has fallen off with no Brian Flores being in the building anymore, and their offense has risen. That's the trade-off. Their offense is excelling, and Tua's put up good numbers and able to the, the, the big plays all over the place and putting the ball in the ends on this, that, and the other, yet the side effect is that with no Brian Flores and they have Mike McDaniel, their defense is anemic. I mean, they they allowed Brock Purdy, they allowed Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy to put together a pretty impressive football game coming off the bench in relief of Jimmy Garoppolo. One bad on the stand on on the curve standards that you would grade a mystery relevant third string quarterback on. Because when Camp opened up, he was the third quarterback on the depth chart. Trey Lance first, Garoppolo second, Purdy third. Wasn't terrible. CMC did his thing. 66 yards on the ground, 7 on 17 carries. They ran the ball a decent amount. They ran for 121 yards on the ground collectively as a team. And then in the receiving game, McCaffrey caught a touchdown pass, 80 yards receiving on 8 receptions. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk got him involved as well. And the San Francisco 49ers scored twice on defense. And you look at Tua, I mean, he started, you take away the, you take away the first, he made two pass plays the entire game. Two pass plays. He had 75, he had the 75 yard, uh, which wasn't even, it was a good throw, but the 75 yards was, 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 was yards after the catch more than it was Tua's uh, long ball through the air. You, you have that, you have that pass play. And then of course you have, the uh, the pass the uh, passing touchdown that he had in the second half. I'm gonna uh, pull it up here uh, in just a second, and then you have you have the 75 yard pass play that he had to begin the game, and then you also have the uh, and then you also have the uh, 45 yard touchdown pass he uh, he threw to Tyree Kill. Which made it a uh, which made it a twenty three seventeen game San Francisco early in the third quarter. Two pass plays, one to begin the game, and then the second play from scrimmage, and uh, to begin the second half to begin the second half early third quarter. Two pass plays, and if you take away that seventy five yard touchdown pass first play from scrimmage, to a start of the game three of nine for thirty seven yards. Three of nine. For 37 yards. Overthrows all over the place. First interception though. Granted to be fair. Wasn't all on. Wasn't to his fault. Wide receiver slipped. As he. Tua was feeling pressure. Had to get the ball out quickly. Receiver slipped. As soon as he went into his break. By the time he slipped. The ball had already left. Or at least was about. A half a second away. From leaving to his hand. Throws it. Throws it directly. To the 49 defender. And. Uh. Throws it immediately to the 49er defender, and and uh, and they gave the uh, and they gave the 49ers a short field. Second interception was completely on Tua. Tyree Kill is what five eight, five nine, five ten, if that. 
one of the shortest wide receivers in the National Football League, and here's Tua throwing it uh, five yards over his head. Overthrows Tyreek Hill, second interception, came with 2.45 to go in the third quarter. Over, over, it was overthrowing Waddle left and right, overthrowing, uh, overthrowing Tyreek. He was very, very, very inaccurate. Whether it was the fact that moments too big for him, he was overwhelmed by the 49er defense, I don't know. Overthrowing Sheffield, uh, overthrowing Sheffield, Waddle, Hill, had a lot of overthrows. Very inaccurate. Some throws came a couple feet short, went into the grass. Wasn't his best afternoon at the office. And and the point that, I, again, you're going to put him on the elite level of quarterbacks in the AFC. You want to put the Dolphins at elite level in the AFC. They had to win this game in impressive fashion, and their offense had to do what they do, and that's run up the scoreboard on the 49ers' great defense. As a result, they could not do so. San Francisco had a scoop and score. They also had a uh, what? How many touchdowns did they have? They only had. I thought they had two. Wrote down. No, they only had. Um, wow, they only had uh, one defensive touchdown. Only had one defensive touchdown. Okay. But still. One defensive touchdown is one defensive touchdown too many. Not when you're scoring seven not when you're scoring seventeen points and you go eighteen to thirty three, sack three to I mean they and another thing with Miami too, and we mentioned it heading into the game, their ability to run the ball, which they could not. And it wasn't like, you know, if you woke up and bam, you lift your head, they were they were in a twenty one to nothing deficit. The game was was manageable was was a decently manageable game heading into the you know and until about the midway point in the in the third quarter heading into the fourth. It was a manageable football game that the Dolphins were fairly in and yet two is throwing the football all over the place, getting sacked left and right uh, 49ers defensive line wrecking, wreaking havoc, and to us, you know, throwing everybody, but but it, but 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 the guys that are wearing the Miami Dolphin uniform got after him. Give the 49ers defense credit; they got after Tua, routed him a little bit, had him had him run around all over the place, forced it for a lot of forced a lot of uh, the bad mistakes, bad throws, inaccurate throws. Uh, a lot of overthrows among the inaccurate ones, and uh, they really got under Tua's skin, and it showed in his play. Showed in his play, which is and again uh, why I didn't subscribe to the notion that the 49ers have no more to prove. No, they don't. No, the 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 49ers have been there, done that, and get and got the T-shirt. They've they've played and they that group has played in the Super Bowl and has played in two NFC Championship games in the last three seasons. They, they, they the the Miami two attack below in the Miami Dolphins, you know that's not exactly a uh, they're not playing a seventy two version with uh, with Larry with uh, Larry Zonka, no, not a chance. You come on and Bob Greasy, no, 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 no. The team that hadn't that needed to prove that was out to prove something and show America if they were for re- if they were for real as a legitimate top tier contender atop the AFC was the Dolphins. 
and that offense that everybody screams and yells essentially is the second coming of the of the of the 1998 Minnesota Vikings and they did nothing but and they did nothing in the game but lay a big fat egg in in the ball game offensively outside of two pass plays did nothing in the game nothing outside of two touchdowns Two inaccurate throws all over the place. They couldn't run the ball worth the damn. And they and 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 they and 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 the Dolphins were very fortunate that Shanahan with his asinine decision to go for it on fourth and four and they got the ball at the Dolphins' own thirty-nine yard line. Kyle kick the freaking field goal. It's four. It's fourth and four. It's fourth and four. You were up. Let me see what what, what I should have wrote it down on my little sheet. Let me go back to the play by play. You what? I mean, you had the ball at. I mean, it's a. It was a. Well, let me see. It was a. Uh, it was a ten ten game. It was a ten ten game. Do I have the right one? I might not have the right. Uh, I might not have the right one here. Fourth and four. Turn over on downs. Where is it? Do I have the... I got it. I could have sworn I had... Unless I have it written wrong. Which is a horrendous mistake on my part. Uh, somehow, some way, They didn't score after Tua's first interception. That is what I... Do I have... No... Wait, somehow I got hit the ball to third. It's five eighteen second quarter. How in the world do I have my notes wrong? Do I have for the first time do I have some red wrong? No, I don't. Here it is. Yeah, ten like I thought. Okay, so now I'm getting my I got Jaya. Get yourself organized. Jay West, get yourself together. Uh, like I said. Fourth and four, they have the ball at the Dolphins' 39-yard line, 5.17 to go in the second quarter. And here's Shanahan Shanahan going for it with the game tied at 10 apiece. Really? Kick the field goal and take the freaking points. Holy crap. And and instead, Purdy tries to find Brandon Ayuk, gets intercepted by Xavier Howard. Very fortunate the Dolphins got the ball back four plays and ended up punting the ball right back to San Francisco. So, leave to Shanahan every now and again. He, he, you know, for all of his great genius, he look, he coaches like a sheer amateur going forward, fourth and four with the game tied late second quarter with his third string quarterback. He's out there going for it. Really? And worse than that, he's throwing the ball. Stupid decisions like that would keep San Francisco from going to another Super Bowl. It's just I I do not get it that decision. I really really don't. The Seattle Seahawks. I mean their theme song. Uh, if they you know on the plane ride back to Seattle from LAX was uh, the BG staying alive because that is what they did. The game should have never been as close as it was, but it took care of business anyway over the Rams. 27 to 23. Geno Smith bounce back performance. 28 389. 
367, three touchdown passes, got sacked four times, though, through one interception. Did not run the football tremendous. Did not run the football well at all. That's something if I was a Seahawks fan, I'd be very concerned about. Uh, as of late in the Tampa game in Germany, last week against the Raiders, and then this week against the Rams, you failed to run the, you, you run the football. was not your forte during the sequence of the game, but when you have Tyler Lockett, and and DK Metcalf, I mean Lockett, nine receptions, 128 receiving yards and a touchdown. DK Metcalf, eight receptions, 127 receiving yards and caught the game-winning touchdown. Really, it masked up the fact that uh, Kenneth Walker only got three carries for uh, for 36 yards on the ground. And your leading rusher, DJ Dallas, ten carries for 37 yards. So it it, it masks that up. But again, part of the Seahawks' early season success was their ability to run the football well with uh, with um, Kenneth Walker the third. And one of the things that 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 helps you come playoff time and makes and and is a uh, and is any playoff team's best friend is their ability to run the football consistently and be able to do it well. Last three games, the Seattle Seahawks have not been able to run the football well, but on su- but on Sunday. Against the uh, Los Angeles, they were able to get a, they were able to get away with one, uh, with two tremendous performances from Lockett and DK Metcalf and Geno Smith bouncing back, the uh, leading that game-winning drive at the end, a sensational job by uh, by Seattle. The Rams stink, makes my heart happy. Uh, losing season right out the gate with not with uh, with nine losses, the best they can finish is eight and nine. Makes my heart uh, kindle with pride and joy that those that those chumps those uh, those chumps those front running frauds uh, are going to have a, a losing season. By far the worst defending Super Bowl champion in the history of the National Football League. Again, makes my heart smile with pride and joy. Good, enjoy it. Uh, Baggett, Sean McVay, Baggett, uh, Matthew Stafford. Baggett, Jalen Ramsey, you overrated fraud. Baggett, Aaron Donald, you you uh, you muscle-headed gorilla. Baggett, all of you chumps. Baggett, see you later, alligator. Enjoy last place. Enjoy no playoffs. And uh, hold on tight to that uh, championship you literally bought. This will be the last damn thing your, your punk asses will lay your fingers on for your, for the rest of Stan Kroenke's natural-born days. Good. Good. Bunch of losers. Matthew Stat... A bunch of chumps. Hate you all. Good. God, I can't stand that team. Hate them. The owner, the uniform, the head coach is a douchebag. I hate them all. And to make matters worse, we're going to have to, I, I, you know, it might be the first time in a long time I will, I will uh, watch an NBA game or do, or, or do something else. Watch a, watch a Christmas, do something. Cause I'd be damned if I'm a waste three, three and a half hours of my Christmas holiday, watching the Denver Broncos and, a, and the Los Angeles Rams on Christmas. I am not, I am not doing it, not doing it. And they claimed Bacon Mayfield off of uh, off waivers. You know what? Good for the good. Good for them. They can both be miserable and 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 and, and stuck in last place together. See if I give a damn. 
The Los Angeles Chargers are done because uh, reasons involving the fact that their defense stinks and is overrated still. And Brandon Staley just, I mean, he's a defensive head coach and his, and his defense is just atrocious. I mean, they can't run the ball worth a shit. Austin Eckler, 10 carries, 35 yards on the ground. Loud Derek are uh not not a great performance but uh, but 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 a respectable one nevertheless uh through for 250 passing yards two touchdowns Josh Jacobs the Ag man's going to get his money uh, after a 200 plus uh rushing performance against the Seahawks in overtime the week before he follows it up with an impressive 26 carry 144 yard one touchdown performance on Sunday uh, in Vegas, and then, oh, by the way, here's Devontae Adams with eight receptions, 177 yards receiving, and two touchdowns, and uh, two touchdown receptions. You can't stop the run, and you also allow Devontae Adams to take over the football game. The Chargers are 6-6, six and six, up and down roller coaster with the best of them. They got the Dolphins this week. What the hell makes me think they can stop uh, Tua from, from having a bounce-back game and dropping 35 points in the heads. They got Tennessee. They can't stop the run worth the damn. What makes me think they're going to be able to stop Derrick Henry after that. And then the day after, and then, okay, they'll probably beat the Colts most likely uh, the day after Christmas on December 26th. And then New Year's Day, uh, they'll beat the, they'll beat the Rams because there's nothing left of the Rams. And then they'll probably, I mean, they got one more loss. I see, no, two more losses. Six and seven, six and eight, and then when the last three are nine and eight. And nine and eight, ladies and gentlemen, is not going to be good enough to make the playoffs. And I think in my heart of hearts, there'll be a 10 and seven team that'll be, that'll be on the outside looking in when the playoff dust settles at the end of the regular season. So they, they, they're going to be below 500 losing these next two games back to back and then went out their last three games and finished at nine and eight. But I think they'll fall short of the playoffs. Uh, Keenan Allen only had one target for 13 yards and it didn't cut. And he only, and he didn't get another reception until one thirty-four to go in the second quarter. Eckler's fumble led to a Devonte Adams tight end. Can happen. Allowed him to take the lead 17, 13 early in the third quarter. And the, and the Chargers defense getting their, getting caught with their pants around the ankles with the damn flea flicker like it's like it's 2000 like it's 2005 i mean just go away charges my what a disgrace of a, of, 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 a, of a football team and what a waste of talent with herbert my goodness gracious they are uh they're done and a guy that every single time you swear he's done nailing you know the coffin nails he's finished he's through ain't nothing more he can do and then all of a sudden here's tom brady you know he no wait wrong uh matter of fact i can show you better than i can tell you because for whatever the reason my voice isn't cooperating every single time you think tom brady's going to be down for the count there's no chance in hell he's going to come back and win a football game and every single and all teams got to do is just is just leave that window of opportunity crack just a little bit late in the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden Tom Brady like he's done more longer than I've been on this earth twenty three seasons. Here he comes. Here I come to save the day. 
And then Tom Brady is on his way to give the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a come-from-behind victory on Monday Night Football. 17-16, Brady 36-54, 281 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Bucs still can't run the football worth the crap. Leonard Fournette, uh, Rashawn White, uh-uh. Uh, the pedestrian night throwing a football offense was complete, was disgraceful and unwatchable outside of the, outside of the two touchdowns at the back end of the fourth quarter, their opening, their opening drive from their second possession of the game until their last touchdownless drive in the fourth quarter, their offense was disgusting, offensive and, and, and an absolute eyesore to watch. I, their offense was 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 just disgraceful to watch. They can't come move the ball downfield again. Brady, if he's not over, th- I mean, and the thing with Brady is that his arm strength isn't shot. He can still chuck the football downfield as good as anybody in the National Football League, but it's just I I don't know with lack of chemistry with his with his wide receivers. Uh, his wide receivers, you know, they're not as they're not as fast as he anticipated. I have no idea what the problem, what the issue is, but every single time, you know, Brady going downfield, here's Godwin, here's Scotty Miller, here's Julio Jones, he overthrows him. I don't know whether it's the fact that Brady puts too much sauce on his thro- has too much sauce on his throws, and he's and he's trying to move, and he's doing too much where to the point where he's moving heaven and earth and going above and beyond to make sure that he isn't underthrowing his receivers, or the fact that his re- or the fact that his receivers just aren't fast enough to just aren't fast fast enough to catch his uh, the catches down to catch his downfield passes and every you know incomplete 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 incomplete. And it's like it's it, it got it got mundane to watch. It's like how many times can I sit back and I and I see Tom and I see Tom Brady overthrow his wide receivers? And it, it, boy, it, it got it, boy, it got very mundane and very frustrating to watch. And I don't and I I didn't bet the game. I didn't play a put a you know daily fantasy with that game it's just nothing but it's like i'm sitting there watching i'm like for the love of god can brady chuck the ball downfield for 60 yards and either not overthrow his receivers or have his receivers maybe run a little harder towards the back end of their route and dive out on dive out on all fours and try to make and try to make a miraculous catch it's like it was overthrow after overthrow after overthrow and it was just like goodness gracious me Man can't buy a can't buy a completion, and it, and it got to the point where it was like the more the more incompletions that Brady had thrown to his receivers downfield, the more and more he was hell bent on making sure he would he would uh, he would try to connect with at least one just to get that bad taste out of his mouth. You know, yeah, you, you ever like you ever play Madden or what? You ever play Madden or whatever? And you try, and you and there's a and there's a play in the playbook that you really like that you help that that there's a play in the playbook that you really like that you can that you can see yourself executing for a big play, and every single time you call you call the play, you either the receiver runs the wrong route or he's overthrown, he's underthrown, or he gets sacked or whatever. And and the more and more you get denied, the more and more you're more enticed to keep on calling the same damn play over and over again until you execute it. It's all, it's almost as if it's like a practice where it's like okay, we don't get it right. 
I don't care if we're going to keep on running it and calling the play over and over and over again until until this damn play executes. And that's what it was like. The more and more uh, Brady would miss his receivers downfield, it was like he, he wouldn't, the next play he wouldn't call it, but you would guarantee if the drive either lasted long enough or the following drive, he was going to call one of his receivers, go route downfield, see if he can get a big, see if he can get a big play and, and, and get a touchdown to inject some life into his football team. And every single time it fall, it came up short. The only, the only time, the only time where it, where it was semi-executed was to Mike Evans down the middle of the field on their first touchdown uh, drive in the fourth quarter, and and Mike Evans got grabbed, and and the, and the defender slowed down his route, and he got called for an obvious pass interference, which set the Buccaneers up at their two-yard line. That's the only time where the deep ball ended up working out for him, and even then they didn't they couldn't connect on the on the. Uh, on the completion. And the fact that the Saints, you know, and we'll get to Dennis Allen in a minute, but it was it wasn't even and I'm a, listen, I saw this guy play every big game, every primetime game, every playoff game he ever played in its life for my Cincinnati Bengals from 2011 to 2011 to 2014 and saw every game that he played from 2011 to 2019, okay. I, I I've I've seen. God knows how many games if you. If I were to sit back and do the math that I've seen throughout Andy Dalton's career just during his time as a Cincinnati Bengal, and that loss, ladies and gentlemen, was not on Andy Dalton. He only had eight incompletions. Was 20 of 28. Threw for 229, one touchdown pass. And that throw, I mean, and Shannon Sharp said it on Undisputed on Tuesday morning. He was saying it in like a in like a in, in a manner to be, you know, in a manner to be funny, a manner in a manner to be entertaining. But I, I said I said to myself, damn, he's saying it to be funny, but he's absolutely right. Andy Dalton has never thrown a better ball in his in his NFL career than I mean, you know what it was? And we'll get to him in a minute. It was similar to the throw that Burrow made on third and 11 to T. Higgins. Middle of the field. Same scenario, same situation. Third down, third and long. Uh, you have to, a half-to-half play where this ball's got to be on target, on point. The accuracy has got, there's got to be no margin for error because you're taking a huge chance on the middle of the field. The receiver's got to come, got to catch the football, come down with it cleanly. And if he does... And essentially puts the game on ice. Worked out for Andy's former team and his successor in Burrow. It didn't work on Monday night. Uh, an absolute laser throw. Again, never seen Dalton throw a better ball in his career. A laser to Taysom Hill. And somehow, some way, Hill doesn't end up coming down with the football and finishes the process of a catch and comes down with the completion. Absolutely killer. That, that was not uh, nowhere near on Dalton. Best throw of the night that he had, and Hill couldn't come down with the ball. He deserved to have that be a completed pass. I'm sorry. It's just he absolutely should. And then throw in the fact that the Saints couldn't run the ball worth a damn. They only ran on 25 carries for 66 yards on the ground. Alvin Kamara, I don't know what is the fact is it's his legal procedures that's hanging over his head, or the fact that he shot whatever the two he is the fall for the the the, the his 
his play has fallen so hard over the course of this season. It's 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 remarkable. They can't run the football. They they miss Mark. They miss uh, Michael Thomas. They miss Sean Payton. They miss now. What in effect it was Dalton's fault, but they also in turn miss Drew Brees. It's it it was absolutely ridiculous to see. And the Saints' defense, which was electric up until those two last possessions that Tampa had, and for whatever the reason, Dennis Allen, a defensive genius, a defensive guru, uh, calls zone defense. I mean, this man, Tom Brady, has been picking apart zone defenses for over two decades. For over two decades against God knows how many teams and two separate conferences for two separate teams for a handful of different offensive coordinators for three different head coaches and yet and yet Dennis Allen said, "You know what? The defensive genius that he is. Yes, let's call zone defense for Tom Brady who's been picking it apart all of his NFL career." It's it's and if and if you're a Saints fan or if you're somebody who betted against the Bucks that night or if you're a Brady hater, you had to be pulling your hair out because it's like this has not been a great season for him at all this year. A lot of his numbers that were through the roof and were up last year are significantly down this year. There's the, the, the him and the wide receivers. There the lack of chemistry there, the lack of offense. It's been painful to watch Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense perform this year. But it's like it's it's like the easiest like solution in the book. You give Brady a chance to win late in the fourth quarter, and you play soft zone D on him. All of a sudden, Tom Brady circa last year, 2020. 2019, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 04, 03, Tom Brady shows up and it's like he 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 picks that stuff apart without even batting an eye, without even breaking a sweat. And that's just the mistakes that that Allen made with his defense with his defensive scheming. We're not even accounting into the fact that he put an injured Mark Ingram back into the game, the same Mark Ingram that had to hobble off the sideline a yard short of the first down, which would have helped the Saints put the game away. He hobbled short of the first down, short of the first down, ran ran out of bounds to stop the clock. They had the ball. I mean, they they run. He catches the ball, pulls up, runs out of bounds, a yard short of fourth of the first down, with six with six oh five remaining to go in the fourth quarter. Allen puts him for whatever the reason back in the game. I guess because Camara's washed. Then on second and eight. No, wait. No, that was on second and eight. And then third and one, they got the ball at the Bucks' 44-yard line. What are they doing? Are they running the football with Ingram, who they had bring back into the game? Are they running the football with their all-pro back, Alvin Kamara? No. Are they running a QB stick with Andy Dalton? No, they are not. Instead, we're throwing the football. Pass lands incomplete. 
fourth and one. Do they go for it and try to play, keep away from the Bucks even more? No. Instead, we punt. What happens? Brady marches right down the field, ensuing possession. Marches right down the field like the genius on, like the genius general at the position, like he, as he always is. Ten plays, ninety-one yards, two twenty-one off the clock. Touchdown. Sixteen, ten, New Orleans. And he bailed out Todd Bowles for that idiotic damn decision on fourth and seven. He's got the ball at the Saints on 40-yard line to begin the fourth quarter. Down down 10 points, 13 to three, and he decides to punt. Fourth and seven in, in Saints territory, and he decides to punt when his team's down 10 points. Dennis Allen was so bad on Monday night, he made Todd Bowles out to be Bruce Arians. And Todd Bowles, on top of the pay, on top of the Buccaneers' own offensive ineptitude, Todd Bowles tried to give, give the Saints that game, and Dallas Allen said, "No, thank you. You have it. You can not make it up." It was Brady's 44th comeback of his career, passing Peyton Manning for the most fourth-quarter comebacks in NFL history. And with eight seconds being on the clock by the time that the game-winning touchdown uh, play uh, co- commenced, it was the lo- it was the uh, latest game-winning touchdown pass that Brady has thrown in his career and the largest regular season fourth-quarter comeback of his career, if you can believe that as well. You got to love sports. Speaking of which, my Bengals somehow, some way beat the Kansas City Chiefs again. We'll break it all down. Back in a flash. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. I don't know how they did it, but for the third time in this 2022 calendar year, my Cincinnati Bengals have defeated the big, bad, mighty Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know how, but they did. And this one, unlike the... Unlike the uh, unlike the championship game in week 17, you know, it, it really left me in a state of not euphoria, but it left me in a legit state of shock because of the ebb and flow of that football game, the things that Cincinnati did 
that were negative, whether it was the coaching or the on the field mistakes, and the fact and the and the team that they were playing and who was on the opposing sideline. I mean, it really was. It it, it, it it was everybody was like, oh wow! I mean, the Bengals did it. I was like, whoa! Like it, there was two emotions that I felt at the end of that game. It was relief, and it was shock. Shock, not because of the fact that the that the Bengals can't can't run with the Kansas City Chiefs because they can. And not shocked because they're not as talented as Kansas City because you can make the argument that they are more talented than Kansas City is and have a better and have a better roster outside of really the tight end really have a better have a better roster outside of the tight ends outside of the tight end room and that's it. But it's just. I mean the mistakes that the mistakes that they made. I mean I, I'm sitting there saying to myself, like the Cincinnati Bengals, with the mistakes that they made in the game, with coach with bad coaching, and then of course, on the field with a couple of players which I'll get to, like the Bengals two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, seven, eight years ago, hell, ten years ago, don't win that game. With the amount of mistakes that they made, uh, uh, that they made on Sunday afternoon against Kansas City, like they don't win game, they don't make back-breaking mistakes and then win a game against uh, as an underdog against a team that everybody thinks that 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 thinks that they're going to lose to, like the Bengals. They don't like if that's. The New England Patriots ten years ago, and Boyd or not Boyd, but okay, ten years ago, and Mohamed Sanu drops an easy touchdown pass. Marvin Lewis decides to go for it, and it was wise for him to kick the for him to take the points. Uh, and um, and they kick and they settle and send Mike Nugent out there to kick field goals. And they struggle to put the ball into the end zone. The Bengals don't win nine times out of ten, and yet somehow this team didn't play their best game, didn't play a perfect game, didn't have the shiny, big, memorable plays like they had in Week 17 against Kansas City back in January, or had in the championship game at Arrowhead. They didn't have the they didn't have the chase third and twenty seven catch or or I mean the third and eleven catch from T Higgins was a little similar to that uh, in terms of the in terms of the uh, magnitude in terms of like the 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 impressiveness of the execution of the play but there wasn't the chase third and twenty seven it wasn't the chase uh, touchdown the second and seven play at the forty yard line he cuts cuts in, makes one move, and then outruns the rest of the Chiefs' defense. There wasn't the blown coverage down the left sideline where Chase catches it and walks into the end zone. There, there wasn't any of that. There, there, there wasn't the, uh, there wasn't the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the, the P. Ryan long run that began the comeback. There wasn't the, the Eli Apple tackle at the two-yard line of Tyreek Hill. There wasn't uh, the 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 chase 
uh, mano a mano jump ball in the end in the end in the end zone on a fade route, uh, which brought the Bengals within a score. The, the uh, guy that they activate off the practice squad, Trent Taylor, catching the game tying two point confer- There wasn't like there wasn't like those. There wasn't th- those sign not sig- Well, I guess you can even say signature memorable big play moments in the game. To to that extent, there wasn't. It was more of Bengals march down the field. Here's a bro, you know, QB sneak. Here's a Chris Evans, you know, touchdown, a little wide on a little halfback option route. Well, not a half, yeah, halfback option route. Middle of the field, blown coverage, catches it, walks into the end zone. You know, here's a little nice curl route, curl pattern to T. Higgins. He catches it, makes a couple of guys miss, dives for the end zone. There was there there wasn't a lot. There wasn't you know there wasn't that big miraculous tide turning offensive play that that you saw from Cincinnati on Sunday, like you did in a championship game and like you did Week 17. And yet, despite all of that. They still found a way to get the job done. And again, shocked and relieved. Relieved that they won and shocked of how they won. Because that wasn't a glamorous football game that Cincinnati played. Not even the comeback aspect in which they were down 24 to 20. That that wasn't pretty. Hell, they had an 11-point lead and had it washed away. They were up by the way that that the first quarter was going, even though at the end of the first quarter, they were only up 7-3. to three. You, I, In the back of my mind, I had in my head, if the Bengals do everything right, they could end up kicking 10, they could end up kicking Kansas City's ass in this game. And then they fell asleep in the second. And then they fell asleep in the second quarter. Allowed the Kansas City to march back, get hot, and then the asinine decision by Zach Taylor. And I don't care about the people. Uh, people I saw on social media and on my timeline when it happened. I, you know, the play call was horrendous, but the decision wasn't. No, damn it. When Kansas City marches down the field, scores a touchdown to bring themselves within four points, you're up 14-13. Okay. Said to myself, Bengals get one more touchdown in before the half. We could be looking at a 35 to 10 route. Like that was in my frame of thought during the during the, during the sequence of the game. If if they, if we score a touchdown, Kansas City, if we get a touchdown here, this is after we went back back drives, marched down the field, 75, 74 yards, touchdown, Chiefs field goal, then punt. I'm thinking next offensive possession. We put the ball in the end zone. This game's going to be a runaway. We don't. Three plays, six yards, punt. All right, whatever. Kansas City marches down the field, scores a touchdown, get back into the game. I'm like, oh, hell, here we go. Bengals get the ball. Excellent drive. Eight plays, 70 yards. They Eight plays, 70 yards. And what do they do? They fought around. Zach Taylor does, decides to go for it on fourth and one with some little stupid-ass jet sweep to Trent Taylor. Carlos Dunlap reads it the whole way through, makes an excellent play, goes into the half, only down 
four, only up four when we had an opportunity to go up seven. 17-10 when Kansas City gets the ball to start the second half is different than being up 14-10 where if Kansas City scores a touchdown, they take the lead rather than if they score a touchdown and we kick a field goal to close out the half, the game is only tied unless they decide to go for two. He goes fourth and one, goes up the field. I was like, okay. I was like, I was like, Zach, what are you doing here, man? Like, kick the when you're down there, man. Long drive. You remember what happened in the championship game? Take the points, take the point. And he, they decide to pull the hard count on him. Chiefs don't fall for it. I'm like, okay. So he's trying to draw him off the side. Still send out McPherson. And then I see the bro still standing there on the field. I said, here we go. I mean, going to, here we go, Zach. Shades of the Ravens game all over again. You're down there, long drive. Take the freaking points. And they get up there. QB sneak with Burrow. No. Uh, quarterback run up the gut with P. Ryan, who, was run, who ran well in the first half. No. Uh, try to catch him with, with, a, with a go route one-on-one -on -one with Jamar Chase outside. No. Instead, what we do... Uh, we'll run a uh, jet sweep, jet sweep play with uh, Trent Taylor, one of the wide receivers that we at, at, that we got off the practice squad when the season began, and and it, and the play gets blown up immediately by Carlos Dunlap, and we're heading into the half. And all the thoughts start percolating in my mind. Oh, here we go. We were on the wrong side of this in the championship game, getting greedy, decided you know trying to. Trying to uh, steal a touchdown when it, when the points are there to be had, it's gonna come back to bite us in the ass because number fifteen is their quarterback. They, what comes around goes around. We we beat them back to back last season. Chiefs haven't beaten the Bengals since the early eighties. All good things must come to an end. A, a winning streak's got to end at some point. Start, it starts. This is the stuff that starts rolling into my head as a lifelong Bengals fan for 15 years. This is the thoughts that's popping into my head. Zach Taylor and the idiot. Here we go. It's like it's the championship game and how it affected us when Kansas City got stupid at the goal line instead of taking the points. And then on the other half, it's this is the Ravens game all over again. You get down there. Fourth and goal, take your points, kick your kick a chip shot field goal with McPherson. Instead, we stand out there on the field and we call a damn shovel pass that, like what Dunlap did on Sunday, gets red like a gets red like cat in a hat right from the right from as soon as the ball is snapped. And here's Marcus Peters there to make the play. Sunday, here's the former Bengal of all people, Carlos Dunlap right there to make the play and blow the play up. Blow the blow the play up five yards behind the line of scrimmage, and then what didn't help? Kansas City opening possession start the second half. Seven plays, seventy-seven yards. Bengals Bengals defense gets taken to the cleaners. They take the lead, seventeen fourteen. And I say, here we go. This is when the game starts. This is where the game flips on its ear, where the Kansas City gets starts, you know, getting gets starts playing a little bit of more fire. They remember the championship game last year. Mahomes, Andy Reid. Here we go. And yet somehow, some way, to their credit, to Taylor's credit, to Bur that's Zach Taylor. To Burrow's credit and P. Ryan, and I'll read you his stat number in a minute, they didn't give up. Touchdown only put Kansas City up three. 
March down the field, next drive, kick a field to tie the game up again. Kansas City marched down the field, second possession of the second half. They score a touchdown, 24-17. Bengals come back, kick a field goal. Now I'm saying to myself, if the Bengals let Kansas City score a touchdown on Thursday offense possession, I like the chances of us winning this game go down a good 40%. If Kansas City marches down the field again and scores a touchdown and goes up, and goes up thirty, goes up thirty-one to twenty. I don't like our chance of coming back and winning this game. And then the Bengals' defense, which played very well the first two months of the season, September, October, up until the Browns game on uh, Halloween night, didn't give up a single second-half touchdown. Luan and Ramon, one of the best underrated defensive coordinators in the sport. Changes up looks. Always got Kansas City, Bianami, Reed, Mahomes. Always got their head on a swivel all the time. Always has them on their heels. What are they going to do next? Make Confuse Mahomes, change it up with different formations, different schemes, uh, different play calls, all of this. What happens? Chiefs ensuing, Chiefs ensuing possession, first and 10. They pick up a little two-yard run by Isaiah Pacheco, who ran the ball tremendously well against us. Second and eight, Mahomes finds Travis Kelsey for 19 yards, was quiet all game long. Gets the ball to Travis Kelsey, gets the ball past, gets the ball past midfield in the Cincinnati territory. Here's Pratt. Here's Logan Wilson, and there's a huge. Sw- it, was, it literally was like putting. It was like putting a a a licked lollipop on the ground and seeing a bunch of ants just swarm the lollipop all at once. That's what it was like. It was Kelsey caught the ball, kept going, kept marching down the field, and here's Logan Wilson. Here's Jermaine Pratt, and all of a sudden, it's like four Bengals jumped on top of of of. Uh, of uh, of of Travis Kelsey and here's Pratt scratching and clawing and trying to get the football out of his hand and then football flies into the air. Kelsey's not down yet. He Pratt immediately picks it up and it's like Hallelujah, we still have life. And it was just after again the thoughts in my head. Go in, I'm saying to myself, this defense allows a third straight touchdown. We're in trouble. And we're probably not going to win this game. And then I even tweeted, I even tweeted it. Not that, you know, I'm some, not that I'm some genius fortune teller or I'm a psychic, but I tweeted, we need a turnover here defense in the worst way imaginable. And more times than not, when I tweet that, I, I don't get my, I don't get my wish. Sunday, different story. Wild card game hero, Jermaine Pratt. Peels the ball from Travis Kelsey's hand. He takes it out of his hand. Ball flies into the air. He recovers it. Bengals get the momentum that they really haven't had throughout the entire third quarter. I mean, the Bengals got there at the behinds kicked. In the third quarter, I mean, the Bengals they had they had all momentum in the first. Good part of momentum until that until that last play to close out the half. 
They got their keisters kicked in the third quarter, and then the Travis Kelsey fumble to begin the fourth gained the momentum right back to Cincinnati. They literally took the momentum, not just the football, but took the momentum from Kansas City. We got the ball back and the momentum back. Kansas City doesn't go another drive where they could have marched down the field and either kicked and either scored a touchdown and go up 31-20 or kicked the field goal to go up uh, or kicked the field goal to go up to go up uh, to go up a touchdown. Instead, Pratt forces the fumble, takes the football away. We got the ball in an ideal field position with an opportunity to march down the field, score a touchdown, and take the lead right back. And that, my friends, is what separates the men from the boys in terms of who on that defense was going to step up, rise to the occasion, seize the moment, first recognize the moment, then seize it and then take it with and then take it among themselves to make the big play to to take the momentum right back and to turn the game on its ear. Because the Bengals that that by far was the play of the game. Cause if Pratt doesn't strip them, I they marched down the field in all likelihood they marched down the field, scored a touchdown, Bengals down 30, 31 to twenty, and I think in my estimation the game the Chiefs are probably going to walk away with the victory and win that game probably thirty four thirty five twenty one or twenty one thirty thirty five twenty three or something like that. They would have won the game by they would have won the game by two scores. And Pratt's takeaway changed. Everything. Rest of the quarter. Gave the Bengals the momentum right back, and they didn't let Kansas City have it for the remainder of the game. Next thing you know, here comes Burrow. Leads together a great drive. Give uh, Callahan and Taylor credit for the for the formations that they called. Uh, flip it, flip it, putting, uh, putting uh, Chase in the backfield. And uh, Chase in the backfield. And Chris Evans out there, and, and, and Chase's spot lined up. To get the matchups that they want, to get the matchup that they want, they have the the D lineman, the linebacker on Chase coming out of the backfield, and having Evans essentially exploit the broken coverage. Here's here's Evans running across the middle of the field in the flat, wide open, catches the football, excellent throw by Burrow, walks into the end zone for eight yards, and the Bengals end up uh, and end up taking the lead, twenty seven to twenty four. Can't and then I'm saying and then I'm saying to myself, okay, great. We got the lead right back. Now, can we go out there and keep Mahomes from reaching the end zone because this team is too good? Kelsey's too great. Mahomes is too great for them to for them to for them to get themselves down because Kelsey essentially got the ball taken away from him and got greedy and tried to get more yards instead of just falling down to the ground, ending the play and living the fight and see another and instead of fighting. This, fighting to keep the play alive, taking his reward, and that's the reception of the first down, and going down to to uh, to live and living to see another uh, another play, another down later in that drive. They march down the field, ten plays, thirty eight yards. They get the, they uh, they get the ball. They get a six yard run by Pacheco, ran the ball tremendously well. Convert on a third and one. Execute on a third and ten, right back to you know who, Travis Kelsey. First and ten at the fifty. First and ten at the fifty. Pacheco runs again, and then as this is going on, I'm looking at the clock, 
and again, and Tony Romo said it, and it was a great point by him on his part. The game got late early, right after right after Pacheco's six yard run, and it got under six minutes left. I'm saying to myself, oh, oh, here we go. Why they the once they got the ball with under six minutes left in the Cincinnati territory, down three with the field going in the back pocket to tie the game up. I said, uh oh, here we go. They're gonna do it what we did to them. It's it's the previous matchups are have came into my thought process during the sequence of the game, and I'm saying, here we go, week 17 all over again. They're gonna milk the clock to the point where Bro doesn't see it again, and they're gonna put the ball in the end zone and win the game with like 10 seconds left, and we're and we're you know gonna have and we're gonna lose this football game because we let Mahomes have the ball last. Second and four, they convert on that. Or excuse me, first and ten, Pacheco runs, runs for runs for four runs for four yards. They convert another, and get another first down. Now it's first and ten, but Cincinnati's forty with five oh three to go. Incomplete pass, trying to get it to Jarrett McKinnon. Then. Not an incomplete pass, I apologize. Pass to McKinnon for seven yards. It's third and three. Now there's coming up on four minutes left. I'm thinking he converts here. Now we're really in deep shit. And then lo and behold, Mahomes scrambling a, a little bit similar to what Hubbard did in the championship game a little bit. Where and 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 the way that the and the way that, that entire play played itself out. Bengals had a spy, so they didn't let Mahomes run crazy. And the Bengals had tremendous ability to contain Mahomes and a not allowing him. It was almost it was like an invisible wall that Mahomes couldn't cross, where he would to where there was opportunities where he would scramble out the pocket, but only to a certain point where he couldn't cross a certain where he couldn't like turn that corner and turn up field and run to keep the play going and to move the and to continue to move the ball downfield and scrambling for extra yardage. It was he would he would run, 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 and then it was like there was nowhere else he could go. Then run around in circles, run around in circles, and he had to throw the ball away to avoid getting sacked. On the third and three play, he's scrambling, trying to find somewhere to go. He runs backwards. Joseph Asai is, ch- is, chasing, is chasing him like his tail's on fire. Mahomes tries to, st- tries to step up, stumbles a little bit, and Osai reaches his hands out and does just enough to get his hands on Mahomes, and he falls down and, f- and, forces, uh, and forces a fourth down loss of four and gets the sack. Then fourth and seven. Ball fourth and seven, three twenty-four to go in the fourth quarter. People said that Andy Reid should have gone for it. I don't think. I don't think so. Fourth and seven, you're down by three. Late fourth quarter, have an opportunity to tie the game. You take the opportunity to tie the game. A clear cut. You got your defense. Uh, your defense only allowed. Uh, only allowed. Uh, your defense did a did a decent, not a great, but a decent job in the second half. In the second half. You gotta figure go out there and trust your defense to at least keep the keep the keep the Bengals off the board for the remainder of regulation, uh, and to and allow and to allow Mahomes an opportunity to win the football game within the last two minutes or so late in the late in the uh, late in the fourth late in the fourth quarter. 
but instead, but instead they sent, which I had no problem with, sends up Butker fourth and seven, 55 yard field goal. He kicks it. Jim Nance said, "Oh, he hooked it." He hooked, and I'm standing there, and I and I have my left arm, and I'm like, I'm pushing it. I'm pushing it to the left. It's like, go get get left 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 left, and then he misses it wide left. And I and I pump my fist up in the air. I bring it down. I'm like, yes! And then I shout, let's end this! And then the Bengals get the ball right again. Then the Bengals get the ball right back. Excellent job to keep away. Third and five executes the pass to Chase, who barely and that was in a, and that was a situation where the Bengals need the first down more than more than they need the clock to keep running. They convert on the third. They convert on the third and five, and then the, and then Taylor scares me a little bit. Taylor scales me a little bit. Second and four, they second and four. Kansas City calls the uh, you know the get the Kansas City's using the timeouts for the two minute warning. The five seconds for the two minute warning. You know that all you got, no matter what you do with the football, you're going to take up the two minute warning during the play. Taylor decides decides to get too cute. He has he subjects Joe Burrow to get it was a it was a cringe inducing unnecessary hit that he took. Taking a sack in which he lost uh, seven, in which he lost uh, seven yards, which was a stupid asinine play. Either run the football or have bro throw it away. So you're facing a third and four instead of a third and eleven. To the point where, with two minutes left, albeit Kansas City had uh, had no timeouts, but if they stop you here and force you to kick a field goal, the game is still in. The game is still in doubt. So Taylor won exactly Paul Brown with his handling at the end of the at the end of the first half and at the end of the second half trying to figure out what to do on that on that second and four play before the two minute warning, but it all worked out in the end. Burrow, cool, common, collected, throws an, a, a sniper, just an absolute rocket to T Higgins. Through, I mean, the Chiefs couldn't play better coverage than that out without being called for uh, illegal contact or pass interference or holding anything else. Defenders and Bros face gets the ball out just in a nick of time. An absolute rocket T Higgins catches the football, comes down with it, gets the first down, which ended up being the game winner. I mean. Uh, and that was a moment in a situation where you just got to just turn towards the heavens and thank the good Lord that Joe Burrow is your quarterback. Because there is a short, there is a short list of quarterbacks. Third and 11 with, 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 the on, with the incoming blitz where he knows he's got about a second and a half, two seconds even to get rid of the football and trying to find a receiver and, all while trying to make sure that he, that he at least gets to the sticks. And what and he an absolute laser middle of the field, throwing a seed, throwing a seed through a tight window, and finds T Higgins in stride middle of the field slant route catches it, gets the first down and puts the game on nice Bengals win 27-24. Again, that was a moment and that and this was a game where you just gotta thank God that Joe Burrow's your starting quarterback. Because he is what they he's got that dog in him D A double G he 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 he's something special man he Brady like I tweeted on Monday night Brady's the assassin Joe Burrow is a is a is a uh, is a is a is a um 
is a uh, what's a not an ass- Brady's the assassin. Burrow is a, uh, is a is a is a is is a is a I don't know. You 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 pick the word what Joe Burrow is a cyborg. I mean I don't I don't know what you you find the word. Twenty five of thirty one had a completion percentage of all, of of eighty of eighty plus percent. Two hundred eighty six passing yards. Two touchdowns. Only got sacked one time. That was the get. That was the throwaway play on the second and four. And no interceptions. Took care of the football. Ran the football well as well. Scrambled many times to kept plays alive, kept drives alive, and to avoid the sack. He's he's done a better job of that as of late over the last few weeks. Whether it's the fact that his knee is fully back to where it was, uh, 120% after the ACL surgery. Who knows? I just I just hope he keeps on doing it. He's run the football ball, avoiding unnecessary sacks that he doesn't have to take, keeping plays alive, keeping drives alive, extending plays with his legs, 11 carries, 46 yards, ran for the opening touchdown to begin the game. Samaje P. Ryan, what an absolute stud of a job that he's done in replace of Joe Mixon, who did not play on Sunday. 21 carries, ran the football for a buckle six on the ground. Sensational job. Jamar Chase didn't have, again, like I said to begin the segment, didn't have the uh, ridiculous highlight reel plays like he had when we played him in week 17 of last season, but he didn't need to in order for him to be productive. Seven receptions and eight targets, 97 yards in his first game back. And had a third and five reception that the Bengals absolutely had to have to continue to milk the clock and and play keep away from Kansas City. Second half, Mahomes, outside of the heroic touchdown run that he had, you know, a lot left to be desired. He was 16-27 for the game. 223 passing yards only through the one touchdown pass. Uh, was sacked twice. Isaiah Pacheco had, uh, had uh, didn't, didn't, wasn't a great job, wasn't a very good job, but a productive afternoon running football. 14 carries, 66 yards, and ran for a touchdown. And the Bengals did a tremendous job of taking Travis Kelsey out the game. For only four receptions, 56 yards, and of course the Jermaine Pratt forced fumble. So in the aftermath, the Buffalo Bills are the number one seed. Kansas City falls to nine and three. They're the two seed, uh, and behind Buffalo, the Buffalo have an entire breaker over Kansas City, and the Bengals continue to win. They have Cleveland coming up on Sunday, and then Tampa. Brady's old place, the Patriots, Christmas Eve. And then then after Sunday's game, they return back home the second day of the new year. That highly anticipated Monday night football game against the Buffalo Bills. uh, Against the Buffalo Bills, which will have significant impact for both teams uh, in terms of winning their respective divisions and seeding is concerned. And then, of course, they have the season finale at home on January the 8th against the Baltimore Ravens. My motto has been for the last few weeks, I'll continue to say it. Just keep winning. Just keep winning. Nose to the grindstone, take care of business, and just keep winning. Just keep winning. And hopefully... Mixon will have a good week of practice and he'll be cleared to play and uh, we should be in good shape. Uh, but we shall uh, see when these team, when they take on the uh, Cleveland Browns coming up on Sunday. Close out the show with some baseball news and the college football Final Four. Back, up, back after this. 
Welcome you back to the Amatelica TIS uh, podcast. I tell you, with this show, which is probably about three hours long or very close to it, and then the two-hour show with the Wednesday Night Tailgate, by about 10 o'clock tonight, I won't have a voice left. Uh, because, And my voice is typically pretty durable, but it's like continuous... When I do the continuous uh, talking like this for hours on end, it it begins to it begins to kind of give a little bit. But anyway, uh, the two things I want to get on the board before we say goodbye: the CFP was announced. College football playoff was announced on Sunday afternoon. You'll have number four Ohio State taking on uh, number one ranked Georgia. You have 12-1 TCU lost their Big 12 championship, by the way, to uh, lost the Big 12 championship, by the way, on Saturday, taking on number two ranked Michigan, who finished with a perfect uh, 13-0. Teams 1-2, Georgia and Michigan are the 13-0 teams. Ohio State 11-1. TCU is at 12-1, the teams that barely missed the cut. Were Alabama, who finished at ten and two, Tennessee at ten and two, Clemson eleven and two, and Utah, who finished at ten and three. USC did not make it because of their uh, shellacking at the hands of uh, Utah, uh, and the in the Big Twelve championship game on Friday night, Caleb Williams uh, just got just manhandled to shreds by the. Uh, by the Utah a defensive pass rush on Friday night. You'll have uh, the winner of uh, Georgia and Ohio State take on the winner of Michigan and TCU. Other years, you've had two SEC teams make the college football playoff. This year, you have the two Big Ten teams with TCU being the, the Big 12 team and Georgia being the SEC team. Michigan, and you have it, and you are set up where you could have in the first time in the history of this rivalry, Michigan and Ohio State for the 2022 uh, NCAA Division One A College Football National Championship. So, you, and we will for sure preview those two uh, bowl games as we get closer and closer in about three, four weeks' time. Uh, but I wanted to give you uh, my final four uh, right there. You know, Ohio State, they picked Ohio State because they didn't want to take a two-loss team. They did not want to take a team. Granted, Ohio State's one loss was a humiliating one, but with USC losing and with with USC losing, with uh, LSU getting smacked by uh, by Georgia in the, in the SEC championship game, and uh, TCU come within an eyelash winning the Big 12 championship. It really you know, opened up the door for Ohio State to uh, Ohio State to Ohio State to uh, to stay, considering that TCU made it to their championship and came within an eyelash of winning at the gun. And uh, Michigan, Ohio, and Michigan and Georgia, excuse me, kicked ass and take names in their respective. Uh, conference championship games. Alabama was the was on the outside, uh, was on the outside looking in at a uh, number five. So Ohio State, albeit and I said at the time, and it still held true, but Ohio State got help, uh, which is one of the, which is part of the reason why they were able to make it as the uh, for, as the four seed. Alabama and Tennessee. Uh, Alabama had a rough for Alabama standards had a rough season in Tennessee. 
you know, they two lo- they started out the season tremendously well and faded down the stretch late. That's the reason they uh, fell short, and then Clemson getting curb stomped by uh, South Carolina and also losing to uh, Notre Dame at, at South Bend in prime time uh, kept them on the outside for the college football playoff uh, as, as well. And South Carolina laying an egg in the Pac-12 championship last Friday night in Vegas kept had them fall all the way down to 10, and they had no shot of making it whatsoever themselves to boot. And how about South Carolina, fifth season unranked, managed to squeeze themselves in to close out the year, ranked number 19 uh, in all college football to end the season. Sensational job by that program and what they did uh, over these over this uh, college football regular season. And then we turn our mind to baseball. Jaron Judge, Nine-year contract extension. Uh, he will remain a New York Yankee. John Heyman said prematurely, for whatever the reason, he thought Arson Judge, not Aaron, but Arson Judge, was going to be a member of the New York of the uh, San Francisco Giants. He was, of course, quoted and was interviewed in an article. He was voted the Athlete of the Year uh, for Time Magazine, of course, being the uh, single-season home run champion and this, that, and the other. He was interviewed. And uh, he was interviewed, uh, and that art and the article and the issue came out within the last few days, and everyone was thinking Aaron Judge could go. He's from. He said he lifelong dream to play for the Giants, this, that, and the other. And then it's like okay, but then I saw a whole hell of a lot of signs during the uh, during the reg during the regular season that uh that uh, that Aaron Judge and during the playoffs even when he had the New York Forever shirt coming in for Yankee playoff games and everything else that he wasn't going to uh that he wasn't going to leave and Aaron Judge was going to be there to stay and then I wake up this morning I see Aaron Judge nine years 360 million dollar deal uh only a month only about a, a month and a few days after the uh after the uh, the baseball season ended with the Astros winning in Game Six, their hottest free agency, uh, uh, their hottest player in the free agency cycle, is already off the table and locked up and remaining with the Yankees, nine years, three hundred and sixty million dollars. He bet on himself, won the M- won the MVP. Broke Roger Maris's Yankee franchise and American League single season home run record. Uh, came within an eyelash of also winning the Triple Crown as well. And bet on himself and got rewarded exponentially. So uh, Aaron Judge will remain a Yankee. Like I said, like I said at the top of the show, and it still remains. It means a, it means a lot for the Yankee fan to see their guy homegrown, drafted, came up through their system. Rookie of the year, you know, came up 17 and 18 with the Yankees. You know, the 6'8 freak that hits home, that hits bombs and plays tremendous defense. Whereas number nine, it's good. It was good. For, it's something to celebrate for the Yankee fans sentimentally because you'll flip on the TV opening day, middle of June, middle of July, and still see Aaron Judge be wearing the Yankee pinstripes and knowing that essentially unless things veer to the veer to the left that he'll be a Yankee for life. It's good for the and it's good for the for the nature of the locker room and for the team chemistry. 
you know, that he'll still be on the team. It's good. It's good for morale for the Yankee fan and for the Yankee roster that judges on the team in terms of, does it help them win a championship and help them beat the Houston Astros for a chance? The answer is no. Signing Aaron Judge for the next nine years does absolutely nothing to increase the Yankees' chances at beating the Astros in the postseason and winning a World Series. Nothing. It helps them, you know, be in a mix to win 90-plus games and be a division contender again and make the playoffs out of the American League East again, but it does not help them become a better baseball team equipped to beat the Houston Astros come postseason time. It doesn't. It helps the Yankees' regular season success. doesn't help their postseason success. And it also helps... It also helps remain the positive, feel-good morale with the team amongst its fan base and within the locker room. Because Aaron Judge, because Aaron Judge has been a Yankee, he's been an A one since day one. Stanton been with the Marlins. Rizzo is a Cub. Aaron Judge is a New York Yankee. And Trey Turner is a Philadelphia Philly. A lot of arguments I heard. That he is a you know one of the more overrated shortstops in the game because he does not hit uh, good pitching and he's had a very substandard uh and he's had very substandard postseason uh postseason runs with the Nationals and with the uh, Dodgers he got his money eleven year three hundred million dot three hundred million dollar contract with the uh, Philadelphia with the uh, Philadelphia Phillies so the Phillies add a shortstop and and Turner is reunited with his uh Nationals teammate uh and Bryce with Bryce Harper in Philadelphia. Philadelphia Dombrowski, hell of a GM, not satisfied with finishing in second place and just winning the National League pennant. He wants to he wants to see this team win the whole damn thing. Uh so it's a good, very good signing for Trey Turner, which will certainly help the uh, Phillies championship aspirations in two thousand and twenty three. And if you're a Nationals fan, hold on and hug that championship from 2019 extra tight because it, cause it's going to be ain't going to be a pretty season for you guys in 2023 and for the foreseeable future. Uh, Jacob DeGrom leaves the Mets for the uh, Texas Rangers. He go, you heard, I heard a lot of talk from New Yorkers and fellow Met fans that he really never fully embraced or really enjoyed being a New York, being a uh, New York City athlete. And how the big spot of New York sometimes got to be a little bit much for got to be a little bit much for Jacob Degrom, and also the fact that you know he made a ton of money with the Mets and made about uh, made about what uh, he made uh, about eleven starts for him in two thousand and twenty two and made about two dozen there two dozen no more than two dozen made about 20 plus starts within the last uh, couple of seasons in the new decade with the Mets and barely pitched due to injury and everything else and the Mets were only I believe six and five in his starts that he made in the regular season in 2022 and to the point you know he's with with his hand out wanting for more money and the guy barely played over the last uh over the last three or four seasons so he goes goes into oblivion with the Rangers. 
Uh, and the thing with the Rangers, though, is that in order for the Rangers to be a competitive team that's that's you know that can make a playoff run and give the Astros to give the Astros and Mariners a scare in the, in the American League West and be a potential wildcard team next season, is that the Grom has to be he has to be the workhorse. He has to be the ace at the top of the rotation. You know, with the Mets, it, you know he. He when he all he had to do is make sure when his day was called to pitch that he pitched that he pitched well you know because he had he was had shared the rotation with Harvey back in the day and Syndergaard back in the day and last year with uh, with Carrasco and with Taiwan Walker and with uh, Max Scherzer he you know all he had to do is just make sure when his number was called that he deli- that he delivered the goods. With the Rangers, he's kind of have to step up and elevate his play to carry the workload for, for that for that Ranger team in order for them to become a better baseball team and put themselves in a position to win eighty plus games in two thousand and twenty two and excuse me two thousand twenty three. Because if he doesn't, he kind of you know has about a dozen starts or fifteen starts. You know, less he he puts that he has less than twenty starts in a season. You know, is it really going to mean that big of a deal for the Rangers' long success come next season? So, in order for him to be a real difference maker for the Rangers, he's got to he's got to pitch and he's got to pitch often. He's not he's not in a rotation where he can you know where he can where it can be masked up with him missing a month, two months, three weeks, two weeks out with injury because he's got Walker, Carrasco, and Scherzer in his rotation to help pick up the slack. So keep that keep that in mind uh, when we head into spring training in a few months' time. And it's ironic because I thought, well, the Yankees are done. Yankees, you're screwed. Congratulations, Cashman's back. And they go out there and they bring back Aaron Judge. But again... What is Cashman going to do? Who I think, and I'm not the only one who thinks this has has uh, has uh, he's been there too long. He's been there way, 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 way too long, past this expiration date. Not saying that he's that he's not a good GM, but I think at this point, this point in time, he's not a good GM for the Yankees in 2022. Flawed roster. We went through it a, a thousand times when it got knocked out by Houston uh, back in October. What will he do to build a roster equipped to beating the Houston Astros in 2023 and beyond? He brought back Judge. Great. Now what? And it'll be interesting to see. Will the Yankee fans, you know, be a little softer and more and less and less hard on Cashman? I'm, I don't anticipate that. But will the Yankee fan be as harsh and be on uh Cashman like white on rice because of the because because of him bringing Judge back. Or well, you know, now I know once the regular season starts, all things will be forgotten. What's done in December, you know, what will be forgotten come October. But what will he? What will he do? Because you can't just bring Judge back and say, "Yay, Judge is back," and then go back to the same old, you know, same old foolishness. You know, stuck in a hamster wheel, and you're getting your teeth kicked in by the Astros by the for the fifth time in the last seven years, or something like that. 
17, 19, four, the fourth time in the last six years. Can't have it. So that would be interesting as well. I know the Deion Sanders move to Colorado has generated a lot of news. I'll for sure give you my two cents on that. Uh, come Friday's show, and I don't have to worry about, you know, recapping uh, Raiders and Rams, which will put America to sleep. So I'll give you my thoughts on that come Friday's episode. If you like what you heard and you're new to the program, please don't hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. I will talk to you on Friday. Be safe. Y'all take care. See ya.